the media and figure out how many times you feel a little bit of fear or when someone is trying to fear monger you into changing your behavior, it's, it happens quite a bit. And we found that when people are not pushed in those ways, they're pushed through their sense of curiosity and desire to learn, that they will, they will change their perspective. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another week of the Tea Please podcast. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. And if this is your second, third time, whatever time listening, please consider subscribing because, yeah, it'll make it easier to find and easier to come back. But anyway, glad you are here regardless of what your situation is. This week's episode is all about the good stuff. But for real, this episode is literally about goodness and the conspiracy of goodness to be exact. Our guest, Liesl Ehrlich Vertiber, is on a mission to connect doers, helpers, and learners in a world of goodness. We get into what doers, helpers, and learners are in this week's episode too, by the way, so don't worry about it. We cover it. But she moves this mission forward in a few different ways. One way is through ever-widening circles. It's a positive news outlet. And not just like the feel-good stories you see at the end of the nightly news to hopefully like lessen the blow of how horrific the news has been. Or not like the happy puppy videos that go viral from time to time, which we love. We don't want to see them go anywhere. But this is like real news. Positive, world-changing news. The other way Liesl moves her mission forward is with the Conspiracy of Goodness Network. It's a personal and professional growth platform where people who value and work in goodness can connect, collaborate, and change the world together. I've noticed that I've been really pulled and drawn to conversations and guests that help process what I've learned about the world in the last year or so. I feel just really shaken up about how everything has been in the world and really what I've learned in the last year or so with the pandemic and really what the news has been doing. So this conversation really speaks to how news works in our world, how algorithms enable the spread of negative news, what we can do about that. Yeah, just really how news has a lot of fear involved and it doesn't really provide any sense of hope or actionable steps to help. And Liesl's work really begs the question, what would our world look like if we conspired together for good? And once we decide to do that, where do we all fit in as individuals? Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. Sharing is everything. If you found any episode impactful, tell a friend about it, send them the link, reshare on social media. In the podcasting world, sharing is everything. It's a very grassroots word of mouth type situation because we don't have the Google algorithms like YouTube and other platforms have. So definitely share with a friend. That would mean so much to me. This episode is for real really good. And I can say that because it's all about goodness and I really hope you enjoy it. I hope it's inspiring to you. I hope you learn a little bit more about how we can literally change how we view the world through our personal algorithms, what it means to click on something that's clickbait just because you're interested, and the roles that people play in the conspiracy of goodness. I'm really excited to share this one. I think it's what the world needs, and I think it's what we all need right now. So let's get into it with Liesl. I would love to get started with you kind of giving us the elevator pitch and your involvement with the conspiracy of goodness. What is it? How did it come to be? We'll start there. So uh, the conspiracy of goodness, just to start off, is this incredible wave of goodness and progress that's happening around the world that's going almost completely uncelebrated by people. And the way that I came about the conspiracy of goodness and hearing about it was since 2014, um, and I came on in 2015, um, I have been a part of an organization of building a company called Ever Widening Circles. And Ever Widening Circles is a, a media company on a mission to change the negative dialogue about our times. And of course, as a part of that, We've been writing about all the wondrous, incredible things that are going on in the world, including, you know, pieces of science, talking about places in, in around the world, and then uh, critically, people who are making a huge difference um, in the world. And after years and years of doing this, we just never were able to sort of put our finger on what the what the through line was. It wasn't necessarily just goodness. Um, you know, our content is, we like to say it's like more meaningful than that kind of juicy little piece of like, oh great thing happened at the end of the, the nightly news. Um, but it's really meaningful. It's the kind of stuff that you can dig into later on and feel like you've really gotten 
gotten something out of it and it, it actually changes your perspective on the world. And uh, my mother who started Ever Widening Circles um, came across, was talking to a thought leader and he said, Linda, what you're doing is, is I think within the conspiracy of goodness. And she was like, what is, what is this phrase? And uh, he, he was like, yeah, it's this, I don't know. It's just, I think what you're doing is in the conspiracy of goodness. He didn't have it really well defined then. So we did some digging. I mean, that, that phrase hit us and it often does when, when people are in the conspiracy of goodness, you see those words and people just, the people that are in it flock to it. It's very funny uh, and, and wonderful. And we did some research on it and the conspiracy of goodness comes from not many people know that there was this little town in France um, that during called Le Chambon and during World War II, they saved thousands of Jewish people from Nazi concentration camps. And people were doing it without conversing with one another, but this a whole town was saving people, particularly orphans. And sort of after, after, you know, France was liberated and after the war was over, you know, all of these people came out of barns and attics and basements and, and no one knew that their neighbor was helping out in a, in sort of a conscious way. And years later, a, a rabbi was giving a, um, a talk about the conspiracy of evil that was, was World War II, which of course it was. Um, and a man stood up and he said, why does everybody keep talking about the conspiracy of evil that happened? Um, do you think that I could have, he was a, someone in, who was Dutch and he had saved people. And he said, do you think that I could have saved people and kept people in my home without the knowledge of the milkman, the mailman and the neighbors? They all knew something was going on, but no one said anything. We all, what was happening was we were in a conspiracy of goodness together. And, and that story I think really sums up what's happening in the world of goodness. All of us, many of us are doing things every day that are from small acts of kindness to the stuff that corporations are doing that are working towards a better future for us all. And, you know, those go uncelebrated. We just do them together. And we know for, without formal organization, we're just working for goodness. And we can see examples of this throughout history. And for us, putting words to the conspiracy of goodness, talking about the conspiracy of goodness, I think allows us to give people a space to come together and in a world that can feel very dark and and we can talk about that about why it feels so dark feel like they have a connection to something bigger than themselves so that when you are working in conspiracy of goodness right whether that's your, your small act of kindness or your or your daily work you can work together you're working together towards something greater than yourself and i think there's no there's no greater feeling than knowing you're a part of something something that sticks out to me right away is being able to talk about it and put words to it it's not like a club, but it is kind of a club. I think it gives the opportunity to draw people in to say, this is what we're about. It like makes it more tangible to say like, this is a thing and like almost a mindset that a lot of people have just with the way that they live their life. And you're right. A lot of people do that now. I was talking to a, a recent podcast guest and she does a lot of business coaching and she talks about high integrity entrepreneurs. So these are people in the entrepreneurial space and they act with high integrity, meaning they like really do want to do good. They are setting out cuts of their revenue to put towards charities and they're being eco-friendly and they're like thoughtful with the steps that they take. And I feel like that's a good example of what the conspiracy of goodness could look like in like an entrepreneurial space. Oh, it's, it's a great thing. And it's something that we actually have a, another name to. We'll just give everybody a vocabulary of goodness. So we call that what you just described. We call it the gratitude economy, right? That people are valuing companies and valuing organizations that do good, do good business while doing good work, right? So I think what we have been in is this attention economy, right? The the splashy headlines, the louder advertisements, the uh, bikinis and cheeseburgers and all of those things. And I don't think consumers, in fact, there's a, an incredible stat, the majority of consumers are conscious consumers that are upcoming. So you're, you, if you are not on board as, as a company or as an organization with finding a way to make your brand align with goodness, and I'm not talking about like greenwashing, like to turn your logo green for the day, actually doing tangible good, you know, that it, consumers are paying more for those kind of things. They're more consciously seeking out those kind of things where and when they can afford them. I think we're in a space right now where not all of those things are affordable and it is a luxury and it is a privilege to go buy those things. Um, but I think that 
as we turn the corner into the gratitude economy, which I think a lot of young entrepreneurs are doing, I know myself, you know, as a business owner, that's what I think about is how do I do good while doing good business? I know we have so many friends and thought leaders who think in that way, right? They're saying, I can do good and I can do good business. And those things are not mutually exclusive, like we've kind of been taught our whole lives. And it isn't in a kumbaya way. These are like real tangible ways. And I think one of the best and most important things is if we're going to make tangible change, you and I can recycle all we want. We can we can get our reusable straws. We can you know do it. But there's still going to be garbage in the ocean unless major corporations make a change in how they produce their packaging, right? Like we are still going to have emissions problems unless major companies make changes to how they do things, right? So us as the consumer, we can purchase. We can use our purchasing power to signal to businesses that we you know want better but it's really going to come with showing that good business can be profitable that these big corporations will will change and so i i applaud all the fellow young entrepreneurs who are hard at work trying to do good business while doing good and are a part of the gratitude economy because again that's part of the conspiracy of goodness is welcoming those people in and turning the tide of how we have been doing business for more positive business yeah and it's not only business focused right like that's a really good example of how it can look but what are some other ways that the conspiracy of goodness kind of like trickles out into other areas of life that's a great question and i think again big corporations all the way down to the small acts of kindness so we have been doing, um, there's a platform called Quilt, which is um, a platform very similar to um, Clubhouse, uh, but it's more, a little bit more introspective facing, a, a less sort of uh, marketing focused. Anyway, we've been having quilts over there and talking with people and getting examples of these small acts of kindness. And one sticks out to me like immediately. And it was this woman named uh, Zainab. And she shared the story of she was kind of living bi-coastally and she was back in New York and she got in a taxi cab and her cab driver was just really grumpy, just the whole time, super grumpy. She had a particularly long drive with him. She was trying to make conversation, you know, how are you doing, blah, 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 and found out his whole backstory, his whole, you know, you know, sort of you know, everything about him, right? Why he had come here. He turned out he had like a, a high level master's degree, but it just wasn't worth anything in the United States. And so he became a cab driver, blah, blah. So eventually, you know, Zainab sort of pauses him and at, when she's getting out of the cab and she says, sir, you know, it seemed like when I, when I got in the cab, you were in a, in a bad mood, you know, do you mind, don't mind asking is, is everything okay? And the guy paused, right? He was like, what? And um, he said, well, actually, right before I picked you up, I was stiffed for a, the person got out of the cab and didn't pay me. I was stiffed for my, my last cab ride. And in that, I'm sorry, that really upset me. Um, but I really appreciate you, you asking. And, um, you know, he seemed like that would have been, he really appreciated that. And she could have paid her fare and left. And she said, do you mind me asking how much was that fare that you were stiffed for? And it was something like $34. And he said, $34. And she said, okay, I'm going to pay you for this. And I'm going to give you, you know, and she then gave him the cash for, for what, um, what he'd been stiffed for plus one extra dollar. There was a whole other story where a good mentor of hers would always give her $1 whenever she'd leave and which she was supposed to pass on. And so she, this was like one of those acts of goodness, right? Where she could have chosen just to put in her headphones, you know, grumpy cab driver. I'm just going to sit in the back. I'm not going to make a difference. I'm not going to do anything. Have a great day, whatever. But this is such a great example of, to me, the ways in which, you know, she didn't actually have to like give him the extra cab fare. She could have just treated him like a human being and asked him kind questions. And that would have been equally as a part of the conspiracy of goodness. As, as paying that cab fare. And so I think it's how we choose to live through life. We can choose. I think goodness is something that's actionable. Goodness is the result of leaning into the power of, of shared human connection, right? And so it's the result of something. So if we are a part of the conspiracy of the goodness, it's, it's doing. It's not just sitting on a cushion and being like, I am good. I am goodness. It's, it's those small acts um, and, and the big acts, it, all sorts that, that, cause us to be a part of the ecosystem of the conspiracy of goodness, which is, which is enormous. And I think we're, once you start to hear about it, once you have the vocabulary to put to it, you'll start to see it everywhere. I think my natural follow-up question to that is then why is it harder to do that? And why is it harder to lean into that mentality and ask people those questions 
then leaning into the shock factor, what we see in the news and and not asking those people questions. While you were saying that story, I think it's, well, I, I recognize fear because we don't know how that person is going to respond. Like they're already in a bad mood. So maybe if I ask them any question, they're just going to yell at me or whatever it is. But why do you think it's harder to lean into goodness than it is to the other side? Yeah, I think this is a really good question. And it's one that involves some brain science. So bear with me when I use a word like amygdala. And then it also involves the news. So this actually answers the question of like, everybody like, why is the news so negative? Our brains evolved to see bad things, essentially, right? So if you were wandering through the ancient forests and you saw some berries and you're like, ooh, delicious berries. And then you heard a twig snap and a saber-toothed tiger came and grabbed one of your posse, you wouldn't remember the delicious, wonderful berries you found. You would remember that the twig snap equated to scary thing coming to eat us, right? So our brains, to keep us alive for thousands of years, were on on patrol for signs of disorder and signs of danger, right? Our brains, are they're good at that. That's how we all exist today is because your ancestors, ancestors, ancestor said, oh, that's bad and left, right? So our brains are, 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 are built that way. What doesn't help is that the media is so negative. And you ask, okay, then why is the media so negative? Well, the media is so negative because the things that are on the news are newsworthy. And things that don't happen very often are newsworthy. Things like a plane crashing, things like a terrorist attack, things like a, a, a you know, name a catastrophic car crash, right? people dying in a horrible way. Those are all things that are that we watch on the news because they have shock value. They they are newsworthy and that they don't actually happen very often. But another sort of odd trick of the human brain is that the more that we see something, the more that we see anything, the quicker it comes to top of mind. So the more that we are inhaling every day the chaos and disorder that we're seeing happening on social media, the fights breaking out in, in um, you know, comments over whether or not to use a microwave for spaghetti squash, that's a real one that I saw, um, or, you know, your neighbor all of a sudden turning out to have the opposite political view of you or whatever it is, or the news every night telling you negative things, your brain is going to jump to those conclusions faster because it is now conditioned to do so right? That's the way our brain works. So what's great about understanding that there is a conspiracy of goodness happening is that it gives you a new framework to work from, right? It gives you a new mental model um, to work from, right? You can start, you can go to the grocery store. This is a great example. My mother was talking to a friend of hers and she was, it was very early in the pandemic. And this woman was just outraged that, you know, people were standing too close in the grocery store and, and this person didn't have their mask up all the way and just every negative thing. And my mom was like, whoa, Patsy, let's, let's calm down. Why don't you, the next time you go, just think, find all the, po- run in, when you run into the positive things, count the number of positive things that you run into compared to the number of negative things, right? And you'll very often find the number of positive things you're running into are much higher than the number of negative things. They had, you know, they had Purell, enough Purell at the door. They had, um, you know, people were standing far apart. They, people moved free, right? There's all, somebody helped someone else with their groceries. If we start to tune our radar to see goodness, we'll start to see more of it. Our brains will become more and more conditioned to see more of it. Um, and we'll, we will start to absorb more of it. And so that will be our outlook, our mental model with which we walk into the world. That's not saying that we won't take the smarts that we've, we've taken from past experiences or lived experiences to walk through the world with like Pollyanna, you know, rose colored glasses. But that is to say that we can have a more balanced worldview and not one that skews so totally toward negativity because of the amount, just think about our whole lives have been conditioned with the negativity of the news. Uh, for me, I can remember seeing the World Trade Centers fall, the first bombing of Iraq. Like these are these are things seared into my brain. I can remember all those things. And at the same time, I've traveled enough in the world to know that people who look a particular way are kind and generous and not that way. But if you don't have another mental model, you're going to run around with a, a negative mental model. And that's what we're I think that's what knowing about the conspiracy of goodness helps you do is it gives you another framework with which to look at the world. You kind of talked exactly what I was thinking while you're going through that of it doesn't mean that you're not going to be aware of some of those other things, what the negatives could be. How do you balance your news sources and intake? Because there's a balance that you need to find of like, well, I would like to be informed. I want to be safe, but I also don't want this to like really impact my life and make me sad. 
That's a great question. And I have to say, I'm not a naturally optimistic or, um, or particularly bubbly individual. I came out of out of college, I was like a very cynical, I graduated from Harvard and somehow they're very good at making you into a cynical person there. And I was very cynical about the state of the world. I, my mother had been doing ever widening circles, this, you know, her, her the sort of founding group of, of the conspiracy of goodness. She'd been doing that for a year and I was very much like, ugh, mom's positive news thing, ugh, you know, which I came to do a complete 180 on because I had this different, I was able to shift my mental models. And so I say that to say, I am not running around Pollyanna. We know that the world, that there are bad things happening in the world. We know that the rainforest is on fire. We're not going around saying, close your ears, don't listen to anything. But we have to remember that we can't, you know, absorb negativity all the time. And this is something that we do very consciously with ever widening circles, our, our positive um, our positive media outlet, is if we, we present a problem in the world, which whenever we present a problem in the world, we always are proposing a solution. We're solutions first journalism, right? Um, we are saying, hey, the rainforest is on fire. We know that. But here's the person who's climbing Topher White. He does this incredible thing. He uses old cell phones to detect poachers in the rainforest. Um, you can actually send him your old cell phone and it could go protect some, a, a large swath of the rainforest. Um, we're saying, hey, this guy exists. We should we should support him. So now we are more informed about the state of our world, but now we know that someone is on the case and we know that who we can go help, right? Very often we're left with doom at the door and then we're, we're told, okay, bye, have a good day. Here's the negative news. And here's a cute picture of a puppy that a boy adopted. Have a great one, right? Here's the weather and now to you. Uh, hope you have a good weekend. Um, but instead what we're doing is saying there are problems in the world and here are the people who are solving them, right? Because we're hardly ever left with that second component. And I think to add on to that, and so it's about balance, right? And I think we are not living in a balanced media diet. If you think about media as a diet, we are currently eating gigantic steak meal after, if, if, if like heavy news is a gigantic, fancy, big steak meal, you're eating that over and over. So of course you're going to feel terrible. You know, every time you scroll through all of the heavy news that's happening on any of your news feeds, you're absorbing that. It's making you feel weighted down. And we have to ask ourselves, do we need to, to consume all of that? We can stay informed while also not being over-informed. There is, there is a limit, right? And so I really suggest that people don't go on a news fast, right? If we fast, we tend to come out of that fast completely dazed, not knowing what's going on. And then we overconsume, you know, whatever we told ourselves we can't have any of. And so it's not really great to do that, but rather become more mindful of the media that you're consuming. You know, you probably only need one or two hefty portions of, of the daily news in your, in your day. So choose your media outlets wisely, choose something that's going to be, leave you very informed, that is not sensationalizing, and that gives you the facts, gives you what's going on so that you know what the top things are so you stay informed. If there are things within that news that you think that you personally need to become more informed on, it, it personally affects you in some way, go ahead, do the research, but you don't need to be so inundated with, with, with the negativity of the news. The other thing is have something in your news diet, like ever widening circles, that is about kind of expanding your worldview, right? So we can have on one hand, the big heavy news, but on the other hand, we need something that maybe inspires our curiosity, our passions, our, our understanding of the good in the world, right? Um, and, and for a long time, it was kind of people would say, okay, where can you go? And I would just say ever widening circles, you know, it's our media company. It sounds sort of self-serving. We really started ever widening circles because we couldn't find any place like that on the internet. Um, and now there are ways that you can start to curate your feed in a little bit more positive direction, which is really, really exciting. Just as we curated for negativity, we can curate for more positive, fulfilling stuff that really fuels our soul. So that's what I suggest to people is understand that the things are happening in the world. And when they make you depressed, go find the person who's helping, go find the helpers, go find the people that are part of the conspiracy of goodness that are fixing that problem. And you'll find yourself with a more balanced worldview um, than one that simply looks at the negativity of the world. I think it's a really interesting point that you bring up about just how the news is presented because you could have the same story the same topic presented in like a very negative skewed way or like your example about the rainforest but here is someone who is like really helping and this is how you can get involved and conspire together to help this effort 
and it also gives you an action item. So I would love to see media in general shift towards that type of presentation where people are given both sides and just not skewed so negative. We don't necessarily at Everwinding Circle say that we're journalists. We more curate the web. We write our own articles, but we're really sort of curating items from across the web. So our stuff isn't necessarily straight up news. It's more, it's it's a little more evergreen than your typical sort of traditional news sites. Um, but, you know, there is a movement in journalism um, and I think it's European based, there's an institute and it's an institute for journalism that is, that is, it's more solutions based. It's more about, you know, giving that balanced perspective. And so my hope is that, you know, just like organic food was at the fringe of, of produce a few years ago, we're going to start seeing more solutions based journalism start to pop up and, you know, really combat, I call it a, a sense of future fatalism that a lot of people have about the world, right? I feel hopeful. I think that our generation is more in tune. Like, I don't know anyone my age that watches the news. I know a lot of my grandparents that watch the news, but I don't know anyone my age that watches the news. And so I'm hopeful that it will change as people put more intention and mindfulness around what we can consume. Because right now, I do think there's a heaviness around what's going on in the world and like the future of the world. I think, and and I think when on those big, scary topics, it's often easier to to close your ears and say it's scary and big and I, I, it's not my my thing. I'm moving away. But I really, I think what's really important about good as you move forward, you know, thinking about your media, this is sort of like, I always suggest just reflect on your, on your media diet is like how much of it is actually like you're learning something new, not that you're reading the news, that it's expanding your understanding of the world. Right. Like, for instance, a very avid reader of Ever Widening Circles, I should say, we write right down the middle. So we have fans that are from very conservative parts of the United States and fans that are think that we're writing for just for them. And we have fans from very liberal parts of the United States that think we're writing just for them. And I think the way that we manage to do that is through a little bit of a conduit of, of education and playing on people's wonder and sense of curiosity. And a great example, my uncle loves Ever Widening Circles. And um, he you know, did not, was not a climate change guy at all. He did not believe it was a thing. And he and I were having a conversation and, um, one, this was two years ago. And after he'd been a, a kind of five-year reader and we do talk about climate change, we do it from an education standpoint so that it's not just all doom and gloom. It's like, Hey, here's actually what's happening in the ecosystems in a, in a more fun, interesting way than like, here's the science behind all the things. Right. And I said, Oh, you know, I know that you don't believe in this, but blah 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 and he goes no 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 i'm on board with you guys on the on the climate change thing now and he had this great sort of insightful thing that he said about why he was on board but why he didn't want to talk about it that related to not only did he understand that this was a problem now but he understood how his life impacted climate change he just wasn't over the hump yet quite to talk about that because he didn't he kind of felt some guilt about that so that was very interesting to me was that through the power of of not shaming anybody, of not saying you're dumb for not believing this, the power of not trying to fear monger people into changing their ways. Take a look at the media and figure out how many times you feel a little bit of fear or when someone is trying to fear monger you into changing your behavior. It's, it happens quite a bit. And we found that when people are not pushed in those ways, they're pushed through their sense of curiosity and desire to learn that they will, they will change their perspective. It's the slow road for sure. It's not a sexy, glamorous, like overnight chain. Well, especially when you're starting from fear. It's not like this was our ground zero. We have to counteract and like combat the fear that we have been conditioned to believe. Right. And then like we said earlier, if that's your path, if that is the mental model you're working with, that your brain summons up first, you're going to, you're going to, that's going to be a harder path to change. Um, but, but we know that instilling a sense of awe changes people's perspective on things. Um, so find media that gives you that sense of awe, you know, that feeling of looking out over a beautiful landscape or standing in a beautiful building or, or whatever it is. Th those moments that actually you feel awe, that changes the chemistry of your brain and can make you feel more closely connected to the people around you. And so part of what we do when we are picking the media that we are presenting and we're writing our stories is to help instill that sense of awe in our readers, because it does open up a small space for teaching and change because you felt this sense of awe and your brain is actually more primed 
to sort of be receptive to new ideas and new mental states. So uh, it's a really interesting sort of brain science that we could actually go from fear to awe and change people's perspective on the world. Yeah, that is really interesting. I never thought about how that could actually change one, your brain, and then like have a bigger impact with actions and everything. Because I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think I relate to that feeling the most with documentaries. If I watch a nature documentary or something, and then I'm like, wow, like what? This is insane that this is what's happening. I recently watched like the David Attenborough's, his, his last like documentary or whatever, and it, at the end, he he lays it all out. He does do the whole, like, this is what life is going to be like if we don't change. But he ends on, like, this is what life is going to be like if we do change. Three-fourths of the documentary is still about the world and giving you that sense of wonder and awe about, like, the nature that's out there that we probably don't see. So I think that was a really good balance. I think one of the things... I don't want to dabble too far into the documentary for those who haven't seen it. But one of the things that I love about that, and it's something that we talk about quite a bit, is, you know, the world is so incredibly vast and interesting that we can't even know how much we don't know right now. And like that sense to me, that piques my sense of curiosity, that piques my sense of like wanting to preserve all of these places, right? Like, I don't know what we're missing. We could, we could not know what we're missing, right? And Again, I think I feel it in my chest when I think about it, um, that feeling of, of wow, like of complete and total awe. Um, and, I, and I agree, that is a very good documentary for, I think, changing people. If you, can, if you, if you are an animal lover and a science lover, it might be hard to get to that first little bit just because you're feeling it so hard. But get to the end and you will feel transformed. That makes total sense. That's such a better drive for action and change than just being afraid because yeah, people shut down. I mean, people shut down in every other scenario when they're being called out and being told that they're doing something wrong. Like people never want to hear that in any context. So it makes sense that it's not having like a big impact in the worldview too. And I think people can really start to craft a, a, a worldview. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about this way of shifting your perspective, excuse me, perspective. Um, it's with like really four really simple steps. Um, and this, you know, apply start grew out of how we help people like see better train, basically retrain their algorithms and retrain their brains online. Um, to now, now I use them when I'm in conversation and I'm finding myself falling down that downward spiral or not in a, in a productive, in a positive way, not productive. Like we got work done, but productive is in are we just rolling around the negative toilet bowl there um, way? And it's, it's so, it's so easy to, to do that. And, and these like four little steps really help, I think, retrain, retrain how you think. So the first one um, is, is pause. Just like before you make a snap judgment, before you, you know, click on something, before you re get ready to type in the comments, before you, you know, take the breath to like admonish somebody who's done something, you know, ridiculous online or to offend your sensibilities, just, just pause. Right. And online it's because we tell people to pause because your click is a vote, right? When you are online and you're clicking on something, you are voting for what you want more of with every one of your clicks in the real world. If you're not pausing before you say something, you are you are influencing the other person you're talking to. So if you are trying to get someone to come around to your point of view, which I don't think that's necessarily the great way to go into conversation, go in with curiosity instead of trying to change someone's worldview, you are more likely to alienate them. So think of yourself firstly in the pause mode. And I think that that's, if that's the one practice anybody takes away from this podcast episode, just pause more before you click on anything, say something, do something. Uh, you know, my mom and I always joke like, we live in a, like very often are my very first thoughts, my best thoughts or my writings, my very first writings, my best writings. So just, just hold, just wait, just pause and wait before you respond and really know how you feel. I think that's really powerful too online with what you're saying about like your click is a vote, because even if you click on something that you don't like, people talk about it all the time on Instagram and stuff. If you hate follow someone or if you create another account to go like troll their account and put comments on there, it's like, well, they're really just getting more reach because that's the way the algorithm works. So if you don't like them, you're still supporting them. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. I don't think I don't think we understand that. 
in a, in a, in a really in-depth way. Like, so, and I think it's really important that we all just pause more. Like, firstly, just everyone just pause more. Like, I think if there's one thing we've learned from the pandemic, it's like, we can have the space to pause. And I think we, we need to do it more often. Um, and then to go to your second, to the point that you just made, our second thing is ignore more, right? Like it, this is the hard one. It is so hard because we, we need to ignore more. And I think a litmus test that we very often tell people is does the world need more of this? Right? Like not just myself. Cause like I would totally love to click on every like clickbaity, you know, buzzfeedy thing that comes my way because I have impulse control issues sometimes. Um, but like, does the world need more like things you missed when you watched the Harry Potter for the first time, or should I be supporting cre content creators who are doing things like look at this incredible artist who's created like, you know, beautiful portraits out of, out of shattered glass, right? Which, which one should I give my link juice, my voting to, right? So if we are ignoring more of the people who are the chaos builders, the people who are online just to start fights, the people who are sounding ridiculous, the chaos builders, the fear mongers, and the people that are like getting you excited out of like morbid curiosity, like, Let's ignore that because we can ignore things into obscurity, just like we're currently ignoring goodness into obscurity. We can do the opposite. And this one I have noticed in my own world, I've retrained my algorithms. I have even retrained my brain to go back to what we had originally, what we talked about earlier, right? Is like, if I'm ignoring every moment where I'm like, oh, that was so negative. Oh, why'd she say that? Oh, why'd they do that? If I'm not letting my brain react that way, all the time and I'm looking for more signs of beauty or progress or kindness, then there's less of that little part of my brain going, Ugh, gross, you know, or whatever. And more of like, oh, wow, that is incredible. Look at that person. How kind are they, right? Yeah, it, it totally changes the way you think. And I, it's a better coping mechanism, I would dare to say. I think of that with people struggling in jobs or like they are just feeling really negative about your job. Like, well, you can either cope by complaining a lot and trying to find a way to keep going or you can find a way to cope by finding the positives and like seeing how you can shift your situation to manage in a better way which puts you frankly in a better mindset to cope with the world at large right i think so often we get focused on one little negative corner of our lives we get so hyper fixated on it right and then that tends to trail into all the other parts of our lives uh, and i think we're seeing that a lot with online and digital content right like is uh, we've no long, there's no separation between like work life, personal life, digital life anymore. They run into each other like a messy Jackson Pollock painting. And um, we, we are now though at a place, I think we've been like the child running with scissors with the internet and how we consume it. And then how that's leaking into the way we talk to real people in real life or how we react to real people in real life um, or at the Thanksgiving table. And now I think we can start to be a little more, you know, raise up our consciousness a little bit about a better and, and, and shift what we focus on, shift where our attention is. Again, if we're pausing, if we're ignoring more often the things that make us feel that sense of fear, disgust, anger, whatever that looks like, um, starting with those two steps is like so, so critical to training our brains both online and offline. So then the third one, the third one, and this one is important too, because it, again, goes back to what we were just saying. We kept getting ahead of ourselves, is um, seek signs of goodness and progress. So this is, to go back, you're ignoring the negativity, but now you're seeking the signs of goodness and progress around you or online, right? I think this is a little bit easier in person because I find it a little bit easier in the real world. Um, and if you're, again, if you're seeking signs of goodness and progress, you're changing, you're changing your outlook on the world. So the way that we got to algorithms online is because it's based on algorithms in our own human brain. An algorithm is simply a shortcut to get you from point A to point B faster, right? So when algorithms were developed, it was so that Google, your searches got to where you wanted to go faster. You saw the friends that were particularly pertinent to you on whatever social media site. Your brain runs algorithms every day to say, oh, it's raining, it's this weather and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to wear this outfit, right? Brains and computers are very similar. And so the more that we are seeking signs of, of, of goodness and progress, the more we're training our brain algorithms and our computer algorithms to 
to to see those things and to then help us see those things more often. We're on the lookout for a different thing, and then our and our social media al uh, algorithms are on the lookout for a different thing. So that's really really important is the seeking signs of goodness and progress. Online, I would suggest doing this by unfollowing people you're hate following, unfollowing people who are making you feel negative. Follow people that make you feel expansive, whether that's things that are bring you joy, uh, artists, uh, musicians, uh, science people. There's so many great science creators out there. And even if you're not a science nerd, a great example, our head writer, when she came on, she was like an art person. We thought we were just hiring her to write about art. And now we can't get her to write anything about anything but science because she has retrained her brain's algorithms and her, her computer algorithms to be excited about science. So and that's made her feel more expansive and that makes her feel more present in the world. And I suggest that to everybody is, is, is follow things, click on things that make you feel expansive, more knowledgeable. And again, go back to, does the world need more of this? Does the world need more content that's uplifting and positive and, and, and good for everyone else? It's so tricky because I, it's so like everything is so rooted in fear. Even like biologically, you're saying this is why our brains do this because when hunter and gatherers, like whatever, we need to look out for lions and tigers, whatever. We still have a lot of issues still rooted in fear of like, well, if I don't pay attention to this bad stuff, then how is it going to get fixed? I feel like that's the fear or like the fear that I have when I think about about like consuming. And I think to that point, is there's a matrix and I should know the name of this person. I should know the organization. It's an incredible matrix um, that talks about how global, about how organizations make change in the world and how groups make change in the world, communities make change in the world. And a key part of that framework is that not everybody is a first responder, right? Not everyone is the one that's, that's marching in the streets and not everyone is the one that's kneeling down to stop the blood not everyone is the person that's on the front lines. And yet we all kind of believe that we need to be in the front lines, but there are the storytellers. Those are the people we think of ourselves as storytellers and weavers, right? So storytellers are the ones that are going out and telling the stories for people and weavers. We're helping to weave a network of people who can understand each other and talk to each other so that we can work towards progress. But it's not our responsibility, you know, once we lose the guilt of feeling like we need to be the first responder all the time and we can be measured in in fitting into that ecosystem of change in a more positive way i think we all are in our in our zone of geniuses then right we're all working in a space where we can be doing the best work and if m looking at every single instagram post about something negative isn't making you feel like you can go do something about it and you're just staying in that sort of like guilt trippy, I got to know what's going on. I got to keep scrolling. What is this bad thing? But you're not saying to yourself, okay, now what can I do next? Or searching out for those resources or not following people that provide those resources. Maybe it's time to just reevaluate your intention um, for going in. Are you doing this just to stay informed? Are you doing this as a means of, of actually making positive change or figuring out where you can fit into the change ecosystem? So number four is share signs of goodness and progress. So this can look like, again, in person, this is a conversation where instead of being like, yeah, the weather is terrible. And did you see how that guy got robbed and blah, blah. Instead, it's, hey, I heard about this great thing. Or, oh my gosh, did you see that great David Attenborough piece on, on Netflix? So instead of getting that in person, it's not getting down to that negative spiral. Because take a check on how often your conversations just skew negative. It's, it's incredible. It's wild. It's way easier to complain about things because we're all used to it. It's the common language we have. Whereas, and then online, sharing signs of goodness and progress is critical to helping these organizations get out of obscurity, right? There are so many people who are on the front lines of these big major issues that we're all concerned about, but no one is sharing. They're sending a little like, and that means nothing anymore in the online world. If you actually are passionate about something or you actually care about something, share. Put it in your stories. Share it to your timeline. Share share these the signs of goodness and progress because that is what gets that's what gets power on in social media. And so again, it goes back to let's be conscientious of what we're sharing, right? Are we sharing another horrific image of the thing that's happening in the world? Or are we sharing the resources that people can go? We're all now aware of the horrific image. We all know what's happening. Now let's share resources to go help. Or now let's share an organization that's on the front lines. Or now let's let's do our part to be to share those signs of goodness and progress. And that is incredibly critical to this ecosystem of goodness. 
we can break it down into the learners, the helpers, and the doers, right? Doers, they're the frontline people. They're out there. They're like, I'll be the one marching in the street. I'll be the one, you know, combating the forest fires myself. I'll be that one. Then there's the helpers, which are, we know them when we see them. They're like the one who can't help but like step in and help pick up the groceries. They're the ones that are volunteering for Relay for Life, even when they seem to have no time left in their day. They are just consumed with helping. And then there's the learners. And I think we are all in some way learners, right? We are all in some way trying to better ourselves, to better the world. Um, we are learning in order to become helpers and maybe become doers. Young people are constantly told, be good, go have a job that's good, be goodness. And then they're just left with terrible news and resources, no resources, right? So sharing signs of goodness and progress helps us all in this ecosystem of goodness. It helps the doers elevate their work. It helps the helpers know where to go and, and put all their helping energy. And it helps the learners develop a vocabulary to go out in the world and be helping as much as they possibly can. So they go from learner to helper, right? So the four shifts just again are pause, ignore more, seek signs of goodness and progress, and share signs of goodness and progress. And those four things, use them in your online life, use them in your personal life, wherever suits you best. Use them in your business life even when you're trying to make a decision. Um, they will fundamentally change not only your, your online algorithms, but your mental algorithms, the way that your brain jumps to conclusions. So you'll start seeing a more balanced worldview and one in which you feel empowered to go do things in the world, not in which you feel like the world's a tidal wave of negativity coming at you. Yeah, get you out of that survival mode a little bit. Mm -hmm. I love those four steps. It's a framework in itself of like how you can approach different aspects of your life. Okay, cool. Well, we're wrapping up here. So I have three questions that I ask all my guests here at the end. Um, the first one is, what is something you do that makes you feel like your best self? I think being outdoors, particularly canoeing. I'm a avid, out, a semi-avid outdoors person. So if you put me in a canoe, or really it's the prepping for the canoe trips that I love. If you have me hauling around a canoe, I something about like, there's just something really empowering. Being a woman in the woods, you can just pick up her canoe, throw it on her back start a fire. It just makes you feel like you are capable of doing almost anything. So it's one of my greatest joys to do that. I feel like a bit of a superwoman. And then I love taking my, my other women in my life on those trips. So they can feel like superwoman too. Yes. Oh my gosh. I need to do that. I, I like to get outside here as much as I can. So I get a little bit of that, but yeah, man, I should like step on my game, do something like more empowering in that way. Love it. Okay. The next question is what is something you do to find inspiration when you're feeling uninspired? I love to get really deep into like stuff that makes my understanding of the world expand. And particularly in business, you know, as a business owner, my life is consumed by business. But when I am reading like a Harvard Business Review or I have an enormous shelf of business books, just cracking one of those open and feeling like I'm expanding, giving myself a bigger framework to see the world with helps me make sense of the world. Um, and it's, it's incredible how quickly your brain can start reading something and immediately attach it to exactly, you know, find the message that you need in it. Um, and so I, I always find it helpful when I'm feeling really confused and dazed to go to a trusted resource and try and find something that expands my, my worldview a little bit more. Um, so I'm more capable of handling the world. Yeah. And probably getting different perspective through that too, which is, I feel like always helpful. And the last question is, what is one piece of advice you would give if we all followed, we'd all be better off? Don't settle for one guru, one, one person to tell you how to live your life. Like really go out and absorb lots and lots of different philosophies, lots of different business models, lots of different perspectives on the world. Absorb it all because there's never going to be one person, one one thought leader that's going to have all the answers to what's going to come at you at life. And when life does come at you hard, the more that you have a, a structure uh, of lots of people's different perspectives to, to pull on, you will be able to come out stronger and more resilient. So I think it goes a little bit with my last answer, which is, you know, very much look, find a lot of different places to pull your knowledge from and pull your life philosophy from because you'll be able to, to put one together that fits you best. Yeah, absolutely. Well, where can we get involved with the conspiracy of goodness, ever widening circles? How can we just get involved with everything that's going on? 
So in February, we launched the Conspiracy of Goodness Network, which is a platform for personal and professional growth that connects all the people, the learners, the helpers, and the doers in the Conspiracy of Goodness. Um, and we connect over uh, two different monthly events, a monthly challenge that we work on together, and just are constantly sharing knowledge, sharing opportunities to volunteer, opportunities to learn, opportunities to do more in the world um, on our platform. We we didn't like the negativity of other platforms, so we created our very own social media platform to put the social back in it. So you can join us over on the Conspiracy of Goodness Network. That's the best place to get involved with Conspiracy of Goodness. You can also check out Ever Widening Circles by going to ewc.co. Um, there you'll find thousands of articles about all of the positive positivity and wonder in the world um, and stuff that's really meaningful, stuff that, that we think is very life-changing. So you'll be able to seek your, seek, sink your teeth into that. Um, and you can follow us on all major social media. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Ever Widening Circles, or you can follow the, the Conspiracy of Goodness Network at goodness network so those are the best ways that you can connect with us um, and we also if you want we have an app um, and the app is a great way um, to get a little dose of optimism in your pocket whenever you need it and you know those negative notifications from the news sites come in quite a bit but ours is guaranteed to be your your positive uh, dose of optimism for the day that comes in as a notification so lots of ways to connect with us um, and we hope that we find you find the way that serves you best Cool. Awesome. Is the app like news that you would get or is it like little like positivity blurbs? Like what's on the app? It's, it's our, so whenever we publish a new article, um, it'll come out and we're also working on some partnerships so people would get bonus content via the app. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. That's it for this week's episode. I really hope you got something out of it and out of this conversation. Come find me on Instagram at the Tea Please Podcast and let me know what you think about the conspiracy of goodness and where you think you fit in. Are you a doer? Are you a helper? Are you a learner? One of the things that Liesl said that I really, really liked and I think would be like such a game changer if we all got on board is the concept that fear is not going to work. Like I think we know that by now, but she really put it into words that inspiring awe is much better way. It's empowering when we feel in awe of the world that we live in and what we can do to change it and make it a better place instead of just drowning in the millions of problems that we have. That really stuck with me. So let me know what stuck with you. Also very curious if you guys would be interested in a solo episode in the future. Let me know. I'm very much considering it. And if you would like to hear a solo episode, what would you like it to be about? Okay, I'll talk to you in the next episode. Go spread some goodness and have a great week.